You are listening to Processing Trauma Out Loud, conversations about trauma and healing from two women who are doing the work. My name is Jeremiah Jones, and I am the producer of this podcast. Shame blocks love. And for those who have experienced complex childhood trauma, shame feels too much, too hard, and too painful. Candace and Cher continue their conversation about shame and describe how shame has felt for them. They both believe that real love has the power to overcome the lives of shame. When we bring our shame into the light with those who don't look away, but move in closer with deep love and compassion, shame begins to lose its painful grip. Hey, Cher. Hey, Candace. Good to be with you. Good to be with you today. Yeah, looking forward to talking with you about part two of our series on shame. Yeah, last week we just shared some of our thoughts about shame and we just wanted to take it a little bit further. It's a big topic and I would even say it can come with some complexity. But today we want to look at shame as it relates to our identity. And as we discussed how we would start this podcast, you were looking at the difference between our core identity and a shame-based identity. Do you want to share a little more about that? Yeah. And really, let's just talk about this because I think we want to just kind of form it as we go. And I think that's okay. The big deal about shame, and we talked about this last week, is that we want to deal with shame because shame blocks love. And the thing that we want the most in life is that sense of, I am loved and I can feel, I I can feel loved and I can give love and I can receive love. And yet shame is the block Mm -hmm. to all of that goodness. That's why we're talking about this subject. We wanted to clarify what is our true core identity versus what is kind of a shame-based identity. Some of the words that we put to a core identity were things like we were made by love for love, to live in this context of love and doing life from a rootedness and a secure security that's based in love so that everything that we would do and the way that we would relate in, in our relationships and in the world around us would be from that stance of, I feel like I am loved. I feel like I am worthy to be loved. And That is how I interact with with my world. Mm -hmm. Other thoughts that come to your mind when we think about this core identity? Yeah, when you talk about feeling loved and being loved, that that comes with, you know, lots of feelings like I matter, I'm known, I'm seen. No matter what I do or don't do, it doesn't change the truest thing about me. And when we have been given that message consistently over time in childhood, it creates a strong core, Mm -hmm. a strong inner identity. You know, some people call it even a resilience, which the good news is we can actually build resilience later in life, even if we didn't have that as a child. Right. And that's the work that we're doing. That is the healing work that we are doing. And we are reclaiming our core identity. I love that. And there are a a lot of things we could say about that. But let's just hop over to the other side for a minute and talk about, so then what is a shame-based identity and how is that formed in us? How how would you address that? Yeah, shame-based identity is going to, like, I like to sometimes look at things on a spectrum, okay? I think we said this last week that 
the feeling of shame, being shamed, being associated with shame, even bringing things that create our own shame is a human experience. But what we're really wanting to get more into today is the same thing that we want to get into in all of our podcast episodes. When you've had complex childhood trauma, that spectrum of shame, like zero, you know, very little shame, no shame, which really isn't possible, but all the way up to let's just say 10 being the most shame, you are going to fall high on the shame spectrum. And that shame-based identity comes from being in environments where there wasn't the kind of love, consistent love, pure love, authentic love, strong love, mature love that you lived in. And instead there was harm to our, maybe our body, you know, there was harm to our emotional well-being through ridicule or mockery or, and I'll just say harm to our body, which may have been through some kind of physical abuse or violence or sexual abuse or violation. So when harm comes through these various avenues, particularly when it is in the context of our home, mm-hmm. and and I will say even particularly when it is intentional, and we are living day after day after day in that context of not being able to put our roots down into any secure foundation of who I am is a person who is wanted and valued and loved, but rather who I am is unworthy of love, fundamentally flawed, not good enough, and therefore I'm compelled to hide what I believe is the truth of who I am you know, that I am dirty or that I am bad or that I am unworthy. I am compelled to hide that and then pretend and then perform. Mm -hmm. And that these, I think, are some of the really crucial foundations of shame, a shame-based identity that, that when we understand how complex this is and how overwhelming it is, Mm -hmm. it brings us back again to that place of being able to say, well, of course, I have lived my life the way I have lived it. Of course, I have adopted the behaviors or the addictions that I have adopted just to survive. You shared with me something that you said to your coach, your story coach. And I, I wonder if you'd want to share that with our listeners of, of what shame felt like for you as a child. She used the words once to me that shame is a feeling. And, and I said, oh no, shame is not a feeling. And she said, oh yeah, shame is a feeling. Shame is an emotion. And I said, no, shame is not an emotion. And we went back and forth a few times. And finally, she kind of sat back in her chair and said, well, if shame is not an emotion, what is it? And I said, shame is a vicious monster that sinks its teeth into me and shreds the fibers of my being. I mean, that is what shame felt like to me. It felt like it was so powerful that I could not get out from under this grip of how bad and how ugly and how dirty and how unworthy of love Mm -hmm. I was. Well, and you said I didn't feel like I could get out from under that grip. But what I want to say is you couldn't get out from under that grip. You couldn't. 
And so the level of harm that your body endured, that your heart, your mind endured, like it makes sense to me that shame would just be more than a feeling for you. That it would be personified as a monster that was shredding you to pieces. I am sure that we probably have a few listeners that can identify with that level of shame. I'm sure because this is what trauma in childhood produces. Mm -hmm. And so I think that a lot of our listeners deal with this level of shame. You know, it's why we go through life feeling powerless and helpless and voiceless. Shame is that overpowering presence that when we try to stand up, it presses us right back down. I know for me, shame felt like I've used the word dirty. So no matter where I would go or who I was with, even as a little, I I remember feeling this, I could be as clean as clean physically. But if I walked into a room or went somewhere, it it would be like I had dirt all over me and people saw it. People knew, you know, even though people didn't know. It was this sense that people knew that I was dirty. We talked about that when there is shame, consistent shame, and that there's never any repair. There's no care. There's no healing in real time. There's no escape. Shame becomes a demand for relief. Shame wants relief. It's painful. And so as we grow older, you know, even as littles, we begin to find ways that can, you know, even in good ways, help self-soothe. But as we get older, if that shame has not been met with a more powerful love, healing love, it doesn't go away. And we find ways to bring relief. And I will say temporarily relief, you know? And, and so, you know, for me, a lot of that came through unhealthy relationships and sex and alcohol and things that would at least for a moment, I wouldn't feel the shame, Mm -hmm. but unfortunately created more shame. Yeah. And, and I think for me, some of my things were more codependent oriented, right? Where I learned how to connect with people in ways that like I could read what people needed and Mm -hmm. I would be that. It has a different look, right? It looks more socially acceptable, but it was numbing my fear Mm -hmm. in the same way that the things that you used was, was numbing your fear. Yeah. And I wonder, do you, do you want to take a few minutes and maybe give us some more understanding of what that looked, how that came about for you? Yeah, I grew up in a home where my dad was kind of the all-powerful personality. And I learned very young that, I guess I'll say what I believed from a very young age is that in order for me to survive, I had to align with him. And I also think he pulled me into aligning with him. I was uh, my, my older brother. I was his shadow and I want to be just like him because I saw that he got acceptance. And so I really wanted that kind of acceptance. And so I did align with my dad in a lot of ways and learned how to take care of him, how to 
you know, I, I could read him when, when I sensed he was getting angry. I had ways that I would try to circumvent that, help, help him circumvent that rage so that he didn't have to blow up. Right. Or I could sense when he was dysregulated and I moved toward helping him find regulation, even as a very young child. But then as I aligned with him, then I felt rejection from my mom and I felt a sense of, or, and I even heard her words often that I was going to be just like him, which I did not want to be just like my dad. And so I was really caught in this bind of trying to appease and, and help and comfort and soothe really both of my parents. I mean, I could talk about this for a long, long time. I developed in a sense, the gift of being able to read their dysregulation and then moving in towards that to help soothe them, Mm -hmm. but it never bringing any sense of goodness to me, true, Mm -hmm. true goodness. Yeah. Which would have perpetuated the shame that you would feel because really nothing you could do or not do was ever good enough. No. And then, you know, what I did offer became a source of, you know, consumption. So like my goodness in a sense was consumed or my energy or my gifts were consumed, but in ways that just brought more harm. I was caught in this cycle that I did not know how to get out of And yet that worked Mm -hmm. because it kept me alive, but it kept me under this really heavy burden of shame. Yeah. Just listening to you talk and knowing a lot of your stories, I, I just, I see you coming up out of it now, but I also beheld the pain and the grief and the tears and sometimes the rage Mm -hmm. and the beauty that's emerging as you come up out of it. And I'm thinking maybe our next, I don't know. I think we need to talk about what it feels like and looks like to come up out of shame. Cause that, that would be a whole nother episode. I do want to say to our listeners that we do believe everybody has some level of shame. And when it comes to complex childhood trauma, sometimes people won't connect. They won't connect with the levels of shame that people live with in these spaces that they have been harmed and abused sexually and emotionally and physically and spiritually. There can be a tendency for people to want to look away or to make judgments. And you know, I just, I want to ask if, if, if this isn't something that feels helpful for you, that's okay. But we do want to say this is fragile. Yeah. These issues are fragile because Cher and I and the women we work with and the women that we know, they are working hard to heal from their shame. Yeah. And we honor it. We respect it and we will defend it. And, and I just want to say men too. <laughs> yes. And it's like, you made the comment earlier, you said shame demands relief. And I think that hit me really powerfully when you said that. And I wonder if we can just talk about that a little bit, because that is so true. Living beneath the weight of shame is there is an agony to that. And it's why we do adopt behaviors of self-soothing, you know, as you mentioned, but what is it about shame that demands relief? 
Well, shame is one of the most painful emotions that we can feel. It's actually the exact opposite of what we believe we were created for. We were created for love. Yeah. To feel accepted, to feel valuable. Mm -hmm. And so when shame enters in, it's a direct opposition of the foundation that love brings, which is safety and security. And, and so the pain that comes out of is actually a deep knowing that we have that this actually isn't who we are, Yeah, but we don't know how to get there. Because the dynamics or because the pain of shame requires us to hide because we have a belief that if others see it, we will just be rejected further and our suffering will only increase. And, and the truth is that to heal shame, we do have to expose it. And so there's the bind. The bind is the very thing that is required to heal shame is the thing that we're so afraid of. Mm-hmm. Because we think that exposing our shame means allowing the whole world to see our nakedness. The amount that the world has seen our vulnerability to date has often only brought more suffering. Mm-hmm. Well, it's why you have mentioned many times that it's important who we share our stories with. Yeah. And I have stories of, and I know you do too, that maybe it wasn't the, right time or the right space. Mm -hmm. And we went back into hiding. We recognize we have a cry in our hearts to be known, to be seen, to be loved. And we're terrified of it. Terrified of it. I, I think that's just so true, Candace. It shows the weightiness of what this level of shame is. It's it, it's terror. The thought of exposing it brings terror. And then the fear of, I am too much. My story is too big. I had such fear that my story really, truly was too much that, that I would tell therapists and story coaches and, and, you know, like people trained to deal with trauma. Like I literally would say to them, I don't want you to have to bear the weight of my story. And, you know, and it took convincing for me to hear them say, I'm trained to bear this. If it's too much for me, I have places that I can go to receive care. Mm. You know, and I, and I think when I heard someone say to me, I don't want you to have to carry this alone any yeah. longer man and just how profound that was for me and i can just remember kind of the agony of sitting in that moment of i want to but i can't i need to but i can't i want to but i'm going to be hurt right and finally just kind of coming to this conclusion of i have to and this person is inviting me and they are trained (laughs) and i'm going to take the risk yeah well you still didn't have to But the pain of shame and your desire to get out of that in a way that can truly set you free, not just have some temporary relief. It really did compel you to take that risk, show up, to be vulnerable and begin to share those stories that once held you in their grip Mm -hmm. of shame. And changed my life. 
Mm -hmm. Like absolutely. And I know for you too, like this is the process that has changed our lives. Being able to find the safe place where we could begin with one story of harm and share one story and see how it went. And then when we tasted the goodness, mm-hmm. then we wanted more and we took it to the next step and the next. And then as a result, like the healing that has come to where you and I now both can say like, we know love in ways that we never could receive love before. It's not that we still don't deal with shame at times because we do, but not the way that it used to be. It, for me, it used to be a monster. Now it's, hmm, I'd have to think about the picture of what it is. It's, I mean, it Maybe. pops up. It's Maybe like an annoying like a, fly. It's kind of like a prairie dog, <laughs> like pops its head up, you know, looks around a little bit and then like, Maybe I bop it on the head or whatever, feed it a little bit of love, you know, and say like, oh, little baby girl, like, it's okay. Like, I see you there and I understand that pain and let me move toward you. Yeah, I'm learning how to soothe my soul when shame comes up and just offer it even more goodness. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and I know we'll talk about it, but I do feel like another conversation about what it feels like to come out of the grip of shame, how we know that we're moving forward on that path, which doesn't mean we don't have setbacks, right? Right. Exactly. And so we, we believe setbacks are just setups to actually go deeper into healing. When you're on this pathway of receiving true love and being set free from the lies of shame. Yeah. I mean, you can't get enough of it. I like to say, how free can I be? I just want to say to our listeners as we draw this episode to a close that there is terror in shame. There is a weight of suffering in shame that has the capacity to overpower our lives and make us powerless and voiceless and helpless. There is a way up and out of it. And that's what we are talking about here, like how we can make that transition from being under the grip of shame and then moving into this place where love is realized, mm-hmm. where love becomes real in yeah. our lives. Yeah. So, so I offer good that. Words. Yeah. A lot of hope. Yeah. So good to be with you today. And I look forward to our next conversation. Me too. Love you, friend. Love you too. Thank you for listening to Processing Trauma Out Loud. Make sure to check out the show notes for links to suggested resources and social media. Like, subscribe, and follow to keep up with our weekly content. And if you don't mind, take a moment to rate and review us. Your feedback is extremely valuable and contributes to the success of this podcast. Music was created by Caleb Paxton and our sound engineer is Jeremiah Jones of Story LLC. We welcome you to join us for more conversations soon. Take care.